Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Tight Line Outdoors is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How you been? I've been doing good. We haven't talked for a while. And, you know, fishermen shudder when they hear the word cold front and dropping water temperatures. And in the spring, especially on the warm water species, it can have a detrimental effect. But this time of the year, it may change how you fish, but it can trigger some of the best fishing of the year, I think. Is that what you find? Fall is my favorite time to go fishing. It is unbelievably good if you time it just right. So so what are you seeing out there after this cold front? What species are you pursuing right now, and where are some of the places you're going? Sure. So I'm going to talk about uh, three species, trout, walleye, which is really starting its fall bite, and bass fishing. The trout fishing has been absolutely phenomenal. I know I've talked about this lake in the past on your show, but Spinney Mountain Reservoir is the best trout lake, in my opinion, in the country, bar none. We are catching four to seven pound trout occasionally in eight, and numbers of those fish using four inch tube baits like you would be fishing for smallmouth or bass with, casting them out and working them back like a jerk bait. And these fish are just clobbering these baits up there. Like the white tube, uh, I start with that, but sometimes they, they, they prefer the darker colors like pumpkin or green pumpkin, and right now the pumpkin green pumpkin are producing best. But how are you rigging those? How are you rigging those tubes, Matt? Excuse me for interrupting, but are you putting a jig head inside the tube? Or are you putting them on the outside of a jig head? Or are you hooking them weedless? What's your favorite way to rig them at a place like Spinney? Yeah, so I'm using a, uh, a tube jig that is three eighths ounce, which is relatively heavy. A lot of people like to use a lighter jig, but the speed at which you're retrieving these baits. We're keeping them just under the surface, and occasionally they'll break the surface, and that's okay, too, because these trout will be right behind the bait, and they'll, when it breaks the surface, the water just boils because they're four- to seven-pound fish, and they just tear, tear into it, and the fight's on. You can't reel these fish right in. you got to take your time, let them uh, wear down, because they're going to pull the drag two, three times. It's like saltwater fishing. It's unbelievably fun. Oh, it sounds like it. What a great way. And is it available from shore, or do you have to be in a boat? You can fish from shore. You've got to pick your areas. The fish are very shallow right now. Uh, most people are fishing too deep. I like to fish in that one- to five-foot range, and that's where the big trout are at right now and have been all summer long. And also a little bit deeper around the grass beds over them and around the edges has fish relating to the grass beds also. Well, you, I know uh, Spinney has just been on fire this year. You guys have given us great reports from there. But up and down the front range now with this water cooling, I know you fish some of the metro lakes too. I would think we're going to see a better trout people a bite than people would normally think of in lakes like Chatfield and Aurora and, and even Cherry Creek with this te- water temperatures dropping. 
Absolutely. Water temperatures have started to drop from the 70-degree range in the Front Range area. They're in the 60s. At Spinney, for example, it's already in the 50s, high 50s, so it's dropping quickly. The nights up there get right around freezing. But here on the Front Range, we're looking in the 60s. When that temperature gets down around the low 60s, uh, the, the walleye bite, is, uh, fall bite, has already begun, throwing blade baits and jigging wraps and those techniques up on uh, medium depth, 10 to 15 feet, and bringing them off the edges. And the walleye are there feeding on uh, the young-of-the-year spawn for bait. In most cases, like at Cherry Creek and some at Chatfield, it's shad. And uh, these uh, baits that I just mentioned are imitating the shad, so you're catching lots of fish. Now, the trout, Chatfield's got a large population of really good trout, and also uh, aurora, as you mentioned. Uh, big trout, three, four-pound trout. And uh, the best way to contact them is probably troll spoons. You can get into them on a blade bait or some of these jigging techniques. Every now and then you'll catch one fishing for the walleye. Uh, but uh, trolling is your best bet with uh, spoons, and, uh, and uh, Tasmanian Devil is one of my favorites to troll. Now, you mentioned the walleyes are using jigging wraps and spoons, jigging spoons and things like that on structure. Uh, this time of the year, you know, a lot of people complain that through the year they catch all these 16, 17-inch walleyes at Cherry Creek and Chatfield because a lot of the larger males, which only get to about 17, 18, 19 inches, get called out, and the big females are harder to find. But as we get into fall, those big fields, females tend to show up again, and you start seeing bigger fish mixed in going after those same bait. Are you seeing any of that yet? Yes. Uh, you, you will go through those sublegal under-18-inch fish in large numbers. Our, our last trip two days ago, we had 40 fish, but we also got into a seven-pounder during that trip, all on the same baits in the same basic areas. Uh, if you want to target just larger fish, just move a little deeper from where you're contacting those sublegal fish, and you'll you'll find those bigger fish sitting off the edges. You'll see them on your sonar. You'll see them suspended, sometimes right on the bottom. Have you been doing better at Chatfield or Cherry Creek, or has it been good at both? It's been good at both. At Cherry Creek, you got a shot at bigger fish simply because of the food source there, the shad uh, spawn was phenomenal this year. There's shad everywhere. You mark them when you're moving around, and uh, those fish at Cherry Creek have a chance to eat heartily, and they grow very quickly. At Chatfield, you'll catch more numbers of fish, it, it, but I had a 7.5-pounder uh, this season out there on a 8-ounce jig and a night crawler. So there are some big fish in there, but you're going to catch more smaller fish at Chatfield. All right, and... Chatfield and Cherry Creek typically have pretty good boat access right up till right up till they close them for the year. Is that what you're seeing? Though they typically don't drop too much water level wise. That's correct. In fact, you know Chatfield they've actually raised the water level. Cherry Creek is at its you know normal pool stage, no problem launching there whatsoever. Have you heard anything about Pueblo or any of the lakes down in that area? Yeah, the smallmouth bite, you can catch smallmouth at Pueblo. Also, here in town, Chatfield has a very healthy uh, smallmouth population. And the best way to go for those uh, would be, again, a two-bait, but drop down. The two-bait we're using for trout is a four-inch. I drop down to a two-and-a-half, no more than a uh, three-inch two-bait in a pumpkin or green pumpkin, dark color to mimic a crawfish, and get that down on the rocks, both at Chatfield and at 
Pueblo, and you will catch some nice smallmouth this time of year. And how about the largemouth? I know you also fish lakes like Aurora and um, Quincy and some of those lakes, and Pueblo has a pretty good largemouth population. Are you are you seeing any movement of the largemouth? Are they, are they active? Are they moving, or are they kind of shut down with this weather? No. Uh, well, any front is going to slow the bite briefly while the front passes. But once the front's gone, the fish are in the same areas this time of year. They have not moved to deeper structure, which they will do as that water temperature drops. But with water temperatures in the 60s, they're going to stay shallow. In largemouth, we have just a plethora of ponds and lakes, and most of those ponds and lakes have cattails. And wherever you find cattails, largemouth bass are going to relate to those cattails. Sometimes they'll be buried in the cattails. And the best presentation there is still early in the morning and late in the evening would be a, a top order bait along the edge of those cattails, like a small plopper uh, or a uh, buzz bait uh, and uh, Texas rigged plastics. Uh, I like the chigger craws, one of my favorite that resembles a crayfish. I, I like to, a lot of these ponds I walk the edge of, and depending on whether I just want to get bit or I'm hunting a little bit bigger fish, I'm like you. I'll start with a, a popper or some kind of a surface bait and see if the fish will give themselves away where they're at. And then a lot of times if the on these smaller ponds, I'll take a four-inch uh, plastic worm and with no weight Texas rig it because I can throw that in almost every hole in the cover, and it kind of slowly undulates. It's not punching through. Sometimes it sits on top. Sometimes I drag it and let it drop. And that four-inch worm tends to get me bit more, but maybe I don't get quite as many big fish as you do with the chigger craw. But, boy, if you're just looking for action, that's a good one-two combination. Weightless plastic technique is one of my favorites. The Cinco is one of the best baits out there. There's a bunch of brands on the market. That's the generic term now, although that was the brand that Gary Yamamoto introduced many years ago. And that bait has that slow sinking action because it's impregnated with salt. And when it sinks, it wobbles slightly, and it looks real to the to the bass. And they'll come up and suck it in, and half time you never feel the strike until your line tightens up. But that's an exciting and fun way to catch them. Yeah, it's really a, a great uh technique and you know right now the people they had a lot of people outdoors during the summer a lot of people that took up fishing again or took up fishing for the first time and it at times it got a little crowded but what you're going to find now is we've got hunting seasons in full swing we've got dove season we've got teal season we've got big game seasons and a lot of avid fishermen or avid hunters we're headed for what you brought up earlier some of the best fishing of the year and you're going to find the water's not nearly as crowded, right? Absolutely. Uh, sporting events are starting back up, and uh, people are watching TV on the weekends, so the lakes aren't quite as crowded. It's a lot of fun to get out there in the fall, and like you said earlier, the largest fish of the season come in the fall months. They've been feeding all summer long, and they take advantage. They sense that water temperature dropping. They anticipate the winter that's coming, and they feed up aggressively. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't be more right. I couldn't agree with you. So if you had to choose between the lakes you've talked about and you were going fishing tomorrow when the Broncos are playing and there won't be a crowd on the lake, where would you go? I'm going to give you two lakes. One would be Spinney Mountain because of the trout size up there and numbers of fish we're catching uh, for trout. And, and here in Denver in the metro area, I'd say Cherry Creek for walleye. There's some big walleye in there, and they're starting to bite quite 
well. And if people want to book a trip with Tight Lines, how do they get a hold of you guys, Matt? You can give us a call at 720-775-7770, or you can go to our Tight Line Outdoors website and send us a message or contact us through Facebook. All right, my friend, it sounds like an exciting time to be out there. I'm, I'm anxious to get done and go take my rod and go fishing. You got me all worked up. Thanks for calling today. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's uh, Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. Great, great, great resource to the show. By the way, if you enjoy what we do on the show, um, I post the podcasts are always available on 1043thefan.com. Go to shows, go to my page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. But if you follow us on Facebook, I take some of the ones that I think are really pertinent and I repost them on our Facebook page so you can you can click on them and listen to them or download them, whatever you'd like. I also post on our Facebook page uh, if I get out personally or if there's if I get something from Parks and Wildlife they want me to get a message out about. So I post a lot of that on Facebook. Karen puts up videos on our Facebook page all the time that go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's probably 140, 150 shows. About half of those were filmed right here in your backyard. Some of them are travel, Costa Rica, the Bahamas, Alaska, the Arctic Circle. But about half of them were within a day's drive or right in Denver. In fact, she put one up just recently that's on Chatfield Reservoir. So The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom is a great resource for fishing the local waters. And also on our Facebook page, we're going to have another trivia question coming up pretty soon. And if you follow us on Facebook, you will know the answer to that trivia question during the week before we ask it. And have, probably have a chance at a $50 gift card from Jax or some other great prize. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Speaking of Jax, they're going to join us. We're going to talk about clothing. You know, the weather's changing. How should I dress? What's the best clothing to wear and what not to wear? Right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're, you're really hitting every genre in music today, aren't you, Kyle? Yeah, we got them all covered here on the Terry Wickstrom Show. You're taking me back to my days in the music industry, which is, I think, another person in another lifetime. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and uh, you heard us talking about Jacks earlier. Let's go right to the phones, because joining us from Jacks Outdoors is Matt Balance. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning, Terry. How you doing? You know, I'm doing great. Isn't it great to see the sunshine in Fort Collins again? Oh, finally, yeah. Yeah, I've been wearing I mean, my jacket around at work, and I got to take it off. And and first the smoke, and then the weather, and we needed that moisture. Don't get me wrong. I wanted it, but, boy, I feel good when I look out my window of my studio at home and see the sun shining. It gets me all excited, and getting excited about getting outdoors has been a big deal this year with COVID and some of the other things happening. A lot of people have turned to outdoor activities because they're not taking trips and vacations. We didn't have youth or pro sports. And a lot of these people got hooked on getting outdoors and either they went back to doing outdoor activities they haven't done for years or they're new to the outdoors. But I think along those lines, whether they're hiking, camping, climbing, hunting, fishing, this little weather shot we had come through kind of gave them a wake-up call that, you know, I don't want to go indoors, but, boy, I don't have the right way to stay warm right now. Mm-hmm. And if you do the right things and have the right clothing with today's options, there's no reason not to enjoy the outdoors year-round, is there? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I thought maybe you and I could talk. You're in the camping department, but you're also very knowledgeable about the clothing. 
And I thought we'd talk a little bit for the people, whether they're getting out on a hike or going fishing or snowshoeing as the winter progresses, let's start giving them some tips so they can start getting ready. And, and, and if they're getting out right now, if you're going up at altitude, you need to be dressed. So, you know, what are some of the first, let's talk about mistakes. What are the first things you see people do wrong? I know we're going to talk about layering. People hear that. We're going to talk about the fabrics. But what is the number one thing you think people do wrong? Um, I think the number one thing is you see people go out on a beautiful day like today, like you were talking about. Maybe you go up to Rocky Mountain National Park and you park in the parking lot, and it's just blue skies and sunny and a light breeze. And people come in with this mindset of this is going to hold throughout the day. Um, so my cotton T-shirt, my cotton socks, my basketball shorts that I've got on in the parking lot where I'm very comfortable are going to keep me comfortable throughout changing weather conditions as we hike up and down in altitude. And I think people just, just go in with this mindset that, that what I see right now is going to continue. And, and that can be you know, sorry, I was going to say no, that can ahead. be uncomfortable in, in the Colorado mountains. And sometimes in the kind of weather we get out here, it can be dangerous. Oh, it can be deadly. Hypothermia, most people don't realize that most hypothermia happens around 50 to 60 degrees, not 40 below. Because when it's 20 below, people are dressed for it. They're not out there. But you, you mentioned cotton. And, and when you and I talked a few days ago, I told you I've done some search and rescue and taught some survival courses. And we have a saying that cotton kills. And I even right. shared with you a story where I left on my cotton briefs one time because I was just, like you said, going up on a beautiful day. I, re- I was really active. I, I was, came out a half a mile from the car. I had been snowshoeing. And if my wife hadn't been with me, that half-mile walk, I might have got hyper. I did. I, I was shaking so bad I couldn't get in the car um, from a half a mile because I hadn't changed out the cotton briefs. So we're going to talk to people about how you get ready and how you dress. And, boy, that base layer you don't want that cotton socks, cotton briefs. What do I want for that base layer? Well, you've really got two big choices here. For a long time, um, you sort of had your old, itchy, classic, um, what I would call my dad's wool long underwear. Um, and that stuff still works if you've got it. But the stuff has come a long way as well. Um, what we're seeing now is um, either modern synthetics have been doing great, um, things like Kapoline is a name brand some people have heard of from Patagonia, but lots of different brands are making it. Um, and then you also have options like Merino Wool, which is coming out now, which maintains all those awesome things we love about wool. It's going to keep you warm when it's wet. It's going to wick moisture away from your skin. But it's so much softer and moves with you so much better and layers under other things so much better now um, that I think Merino Wool is just like my favorite thing going on right now. Now, if I walk in and I'm even if I'm experienced, but I'm looking to, I want to build some layers so that I can go outdoors and enjoy the activities I do. What's the very first thing you ask me? What do you need to know? Well, you know, I I should say, if you go into an outdoor store and you ask them about layers and they don't start hitting you with questions, run, run for the hills, go somewhere else. um, Because we need a big base of information to get what's right for you. So questions we like to start with are, you know, what's your experience level? What's worked for you in the past? Is there a product you really liked and you want something similar to it? What kind of activity level are you doing? You know, like you were talking about snowshoeing is a very different um, sort of activity level and a very different level of body heat you generate from something like sitting in a duck blind, sitting still and trying to be quiet. Um, and, and budget, of course, as well. You know, we want to know what we can work with, what's going to work for you in terms of price. So all of those questions really help us narrow down 
what is and isn't going to be a possibility for you. Now, let's start with that. Go back to that base layer. I'm coming in. Say I'm I'm moderately active. I may be doing a little hunting, a little hiking. Um, Am I going to get a different layer or level of under, or are we going to make up for that in the next layers? And what am I going to spend for that base layer? Um, well, and so there's there's options here always. You know, you can go as cheap as 20 or $30 for something that's going to be passable and work just fine for you. It's going to keep you warm and dry. If you're looking at really high-quality merino wool stuff, stuff that's sewn well, that's made out of the best materials, um, that comes with great warranties, you're going to be looking more at the, the $100, $110 range. Um, but I always, if I was going to spend a lot of money on one layer, to be honest with you, it would be the base layer because it's next to skin. And I've got a couple of sort of mid-weight wools that are very versatile that I wear skiing, I wear climbing, I wear hunting and fishing. Um, because, like you said, if you get something that's sort of a mid-range weight, if you do a lot of different activities, you can change the layers above it. And that having that nice base next to your skin um, just really makes everything else work well. Now, we've got the base layer. What do I need next? Well, and so the, the next, the mid layer is what we call it. So your three layers being base, mid, and shell. The mid layer is where you have the most opportunity to change things up. This is where, again, going back to classics, you, you'd see things like those big, heavy, wool, you know, army kind of sweaters. It's what my dad climbed during the year end back in the day. Um, now you've got things like lightweight synthetic fleeces. You've got um, synthetic insulation. Um, in, in puffier jackets, you've got the old school down, which is still a gold standard in terms of if you're going to be out in cold and dry conditions and you want a lot of warmth and, and a lot of packability. So this one, is another place. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say one thing. Please stay away from the cotton sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of options in things that look like cotton sweatshirts that are, that are hoodies that are synthetic or wool blends. That, that work great and still retain that hoodie feel. But, yeah, do, you definitely want to stay away from your old gym class sweatshirt. Don't want to get caught out in that. So what am I going to spend for this mid-layer? And the mid-layer, you said you made it. You know, this is the layer, too, where when you're hiking, you get warm. You can take off the jacket and put it in your backpack, or you can take off one of the layers. You and I talked. We kind of laughed. You're probably not going to take your pants off. You're probably going to layer that the way you want it and try to keep it. But if you can maintain heat in your torso, it'll keep your whole body warm. And here's where you can make some changes, too, right, even in the field. Right, Right, absolutely. So what I will quite often do um, you know, if I'm if I'm at a resort skiing, riding the cheerlifts, I'll probably have a big puffy coat on. But when I'm actually out in the field being active, I'll have several mid layers on of you know a light fleece and maybe a mid weight puffy jacket over that that I throw on when we're stopping to eat lunch. But I take it off when we're hiking because the key with any layering really is you want to be warm, um, but you don't want to start sweating because like you said, you know you work up a sweat and suddenly you're a little wet and you can get a little chill going. Wool helps with that, but it's best to avoid it if you can. Um, but you know, and then with mid layers, you have so much options, so many options, not just in terms of, um, in terms of what it's made out of, but in price as well, you know, you can get nice wool sweaters for, you know, 30 or $40, or you can get the highest end down jackets that are going to run you five, 600, the stuff you'd wear on expedition, you know, in the Himalayas and the poles, really heavy duty, um, but still lightweight stuff. So there's, it's, it's whatever you want and whatever you can sort of imagine we can put together a system for you. Now, we're going to run out of time pretty soon, so I want to get to the outer layer. Um, this is where I, I, I know we've seen a lot of synthetics for the lower layers, but over yeah. the last couple decades with things like Gore-Tex and everybody else's breathable, there's been such huge stride in theirs, hasn't there? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it You know, it used to be even as little as a decade ago, we weren't quite there with waterproof breathable fabrics. And it wasn't the case that you could wear a waterproof jacket and hike at the same time. Um, but it, it's come a long way now in terms of uh, we now have fabrics like Gore-Tex, um, like Event, like H2NO from Patagonia, all proprietary names that are going to keep water and wind out from the outside, but are also going to let your sweat evaporate and help keep you comfortable. So what kind of money do I have to spend to get a good outer shell? And do I get a jacket and pants, or or do I get a suit? What do I do? Um, Well, I always recommend separate pieces, again, just for that versatility. I don't always necessarily, in cold, dry snow, for example, I'm going to wear more a stretchier pant than that sort of crinkly hard shell that's better for rain. But I do think in terms of a shell, you're going to want to look mainly at things above the $100 mark just because they're going to be built better. You know, if you've ever had, quite often we see people bring these old jackets in that are delaminating on the inside or stuff flaking off. Um, And spending a little bit more money can really get you something that's going to last you 15, 20 years if it's taken care of properly. And that's just a great point. If you spend a little more, these things tend not to wear out. I still have some really good layering products that I bought years ago that are more than serviceable. Now, one other option you guys have, if somebody just really doesn't have a budget and wants to stay warm, is there anything on your Army surplus side that they can use? Yeah, you know, we've got um, some great options in the Army surplus side that are quite often, to be honest with you, made out of very similar materials to uh, things like Gore-Tex but that are going to run just a little bit cheaper because they they were made in bulk for the military. We've got them in the surplus department. And, again, you know, back in the day when Jack started as an Army-Navy store, that's all there was, and that's what people got outside in. And there's other options now, but Army surplus is still an awesome option um, for people looking to go far um, on the budget. Hey, if we're out of time, Matt, but if people want to come in and talk to you guys, um, um, you're in the Fort Collins store. Are you in the yep. camping department today? Yeah, I'll be I'll be in the camping department today till four o'clock. After that, I'm going to try to get out and do some rock climbing. But anybody at any of our Jack's locations should be able to get you the same level of awesome service. All right, Matt. Thank you so much. That was just great information. We want people to keep going outdoors when the weather cools, and with today's gear, there's no reason not to. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, Terry Wisham Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. We're going to take a timeout on 104.3 The Fan. I'm running out of, uh, you got Dylan, you got Bob Seeger, you've got about everybody I can think of here, Kyle. You are nailing it. Yeah, and you've worked with all of them. At one time or another, but, you know, it's just uh, another person in a different lifetime. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we are brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors, 65 years of serving the outdoor public. I want to cover a couple things real quick, and then we're going to go to Chad Lachance and have some really good fishing information. But I want to make sure you understand about our Facebook and YouTube. Our Facebook trivia is back, and we'll be giving away some really great trivia prizes. I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a trivia giveaway next week. And the answer to that question will probably be posted on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook during this upcoming week. So you get a heads up to try to win maybe a $50 gift card or something like that. If you're really getting into fishing, you knew, go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. There's about 140, 150 episodes up there. Take a look at those. And and it's really going to help you find places to go fishing right here 
and techniques that you can use fishing right here. Now, there's also travel shows where we go from the equator to the Arctic Circle if you want to look at some fun destinations. But there's a lot that was filmed right here in our backyard. A couple quick updates. I did talk to the biologists down in the southeast area. We didn't get anybody on. But John Martin is down to about 60% of the water is about gone. They've lost a lot of fish. You can still launch a boat. There's still fish in there, but it's not what it was starting out this year. But Blue Lake down there is fishing really well for crappies, and Nanoshi is fishing really good for wipers, crappies, and um, a number of other species like sawguys. You can still get boats on all these lakes, but you have to be very careful. I wouldn't take a 22-foot down unless I really knew what I was doing. 16 to 18-foot boats you can still launch. It should be good for a while. And Pueblo Reservoir, the, Ar- the Arkansas River below Pueblo, has a um, uh, voluntary um, fishing, uh, not voluntary fishing. They'd like you not to fish that for a while. Um, a thermocline developed in Pueblo, and really there's low oxygen water coming out of the dam. This cold weather will help. It should alleviate itself. If you do fish there, really handle the fish carefully. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Chad Lachance is going to join, join us, and he's going to talk about something something called hyperphagia. Sounds like a big word right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, now you're back back in the groove with the Eagles. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. <clears throat> Joining us from Fishful Thinker, a longtime contributor to the show. In fact, the original fill-in host, Mr. Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning from Horseshoe Reservoir, Terry. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot about cold fronts and fish bites during the show today. And when... Fishermen hear the word cold front, they usually shudder and think, oh, no, fishing's going to be shut down. And then somebody like you throws out a term like hyperphagia and says, hey, let's go fishing. you got to tell me about it. Well, yeah, you know, the timing on this phone call is actually really good, Terry, because I'm standing here looking at about a 160-inch muley buck, and he's working over the big, giant maple limb that fell off my tree in this last cold front, and he is chowing all of these leaves as fast as possible at almost 11 o'clock in the morning. And hyperphagia is basically the term that refers to the fall feeding binge. It's a big, fancy word. It's probably the biggest word I know as a fisherman. But, uh, but it, it basically talks about the fact or addresses the fact that, that all fish, game, and people feed up in the fall. Uh, it's a natural thing that happens when the light periods start getting shorter and the temperatures start to cool. And it forces everything in the ecosystem to start thinking about putting on more calories for the leaner times that are coming ahead. So, you know, in the spring of the year, as an angler, we panic when there's a big, giant cold front. But in the fall, a lot of times, a big cold front will spur a feeding bite, kind of get everybody invigorated, just like you see the deer out here. They're all kind of giddy, cruising around, doing their thing. They're eating like mad right now. And, uh, and that, you know, can make for some really good fishing for anglers this time of year. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy fishing because there's a lot of bait in the, in the, in the ecosystem right now as well. But it does mean that it can be some really good fishing if you hit the right feeding opportunities. And it could involve maybe bigger lures. It could involve maybe multi-gang lures like an umbrella rig where you're really putting a lot of bait in the water. It might involve um, 
you know, just a variety of different things that, that really focus on when fish are feeding, how can I catch them? Because you can basically count on the fact that from now till it gets really cold, there's going to be significant feeding windows, uh, you know, within each day where the fish are really going to town. They're probably going to be grouped up as well because they're all going to key on whatever food source it is that's very available to them. And so, therefore, you're going to see some maybe some fish schooled up. And a, a really classic example of that is something like white bass or wipers that, that are pushing young of the year shad to the surface and blowing up in a classic boil scenario that people see. And that happens throughout the summer, but it really gets going in late summer and early fall where we're at right now. And it's because all those white bass are going to work together. They're going to school the, the shad up. They'll get them all on the surface, and they'll go to town on them, and they'll all gorge, even to the point of eating till they can't swallow anymore, throwing them all up and eating some more is a known uh, a known phenomenon that happens with both white bass and wipers when they've got an excess of food. So that's a classic example of hyperphagia. The other one is that, you know, we hear from the terrestrial guys all the time, the parks and wildlife guys, all of the bears, the bears, out to the bears. Well, the bears are feeding up their winners. The same scenario that makes the bears plunder everyone's bird feeders that makes the fish come out and feed really good. So, you know, the hyperphagia bite is one of my favorites, and, uh, and it really is going to go on probably now till the end of October. Yeah, you know, and I couldn't agree with you more. I kind of teased a little bit about fishing and cold fronts. A couple things happen as we go into this time of the year. Um, one is you're talking about it affects the fish's metabolism and they want to start eating. It also affects the habit of what they're eating, and I know you want to talk about that. But it also, you know, in the spring we tend to catch some bigger fish. A little more, they become a little more vulnerable, and they get a little more difficult to catch during the summer. But then again, when these the different baits are acting different, when hyperphagia sets in, the big fish tend to start being found more with some of the smaller fish because they're all eating the same bait, and you have an opportunity for bigger fish. But the reason a lot of people miss out on this phase is they keep doing what they were doing all summer. You have to learn to adapt. So how do you approach it now that you know this is going on, Chad? Well, that's a, that's exactly right. You have to adapt. The, the, you know, I'm not a match the hatch guy, Terry. I am not the guy that says, okay, they're eating mayflies, so I have to feed them mayfly. The only reason I care what fish are eating is so that I know where they're eating, and then I can figure out how to get them to bite from there. So that's a key part of exactly what you just said. So at this time of year, a couple things will happen. One, as these water levels drop, I know you keep addressing that, it starts a crayfish migration because all these crayfish have to work their way down and stay below the, you know, stay in the water. So as they've been under rocks and stuff all summer, now they're working their way down and become available to fish. So that's going to put me fishing in areas that are known crayfish type areas, which could be typically mud flats adjacent to some kind of rock, stuff like that, um, where you're going to find a typically want to mix the mud and rock. So I'm going to fish somewhere like that if I'm thinking my fish are on a good crayfish pattern. The shad may get up real shallow and start pushing up into inlets and pushing up into bays, and you'll see them up in real shallow water doing the, the classic balling or daisy tuning where they're swimming in a circle in a big, giant ball up in real shallow water. And we see that going on here in Horsetooth where the shad will get up on the mud flats, and, and they're up in, in you know, six to 12, 15 inches of water, and they don't stay there for a long time, but they're up there doing the same thing. They're feeding, and they're feeding in a big, giant ball, and that makes them accessible to sport fish that will then make their way into that shallow water to catch them. 
So that can be a key one. And then one here in Colorado that's really important, as our surface temperature starts to cool, all the stalker rainbows will then come back to high in the water calm, and therefore they will draw with them either pike or lake trout or depending on what other species you're, you know, where you're fishing. But those trout, the temperatures on the surface cool enough where they're comfortable back on the surface of the water uh, or, or up on the banks, and therefore the bigger fish will follow them. And a classic one from that situation would be lake trout following, following rainbows up into shallow water in the fall in a preparation for the lake trout spawn as well. So they're feeding up. So hyperphasia and the fall spawn come together on some species like brown trout and lake trout. So if you were, um, and I'm going to ask you for two reasons about horse tooth. There's a, there's a, an organization called Heroes that takes out first responders and military people. Um, they're going to have a small expedition going out to horse tooth. I think just four or five anglers next week. So how would they take advantage of this to maybe put some of these guys on some of those baths so they can have a really good time? Well, in that scenario, I'd be looking for a consistent bite. And so the one thing about crepuscular bites, or, or excuse me, about the hyperphagia bites is in shallow water is that they need to be timed a little bit. Fish won't stay up in shallow water all day. So if I'm doing with something like, like these guys, we want to be consistent, then I'm going to go to 45-degree broken rock banks, and I'm going to fish the ends or the transitions where those banks roll over onto flat mud. That's where there's going to be a lot of crayfish. Um, and then up on the flat banks is where the shad will be. So I'll probably fish the edges of those 45-degree banks where they roll over. Anywhere on the main on the main lake, there's a whole slew of those banks on, on basically the northern half of the lake. And where those banks transition to dirt is going to be a key spot for both the shad and the, the uh, uh, crayfish that those fish will be eating. The smelt bite are still going to stay deep during the day, and that's probably not a bite I'm going to try to put guys on right off the bat. Uh, unless they're skilled anglers with electronics and all of that, uh, but the the shad bite and crayfish bite should be really good. I I get I'd go to town with a crankbait right now if it was me. I'd pick a crankbait up and I'd throw it and I would work all those transitions over a whole bunch and then I would back it up with a four inch gold minnow on a jig head. Yeah, always a, a gosh a crankbait and a gold minnow, Chad. I didn't know you fished with those. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, in yeah. this particular case, I'd probably be throwing something like a dredger, either fourteen five or seventeen five. In other words, deeper than I'm expecting my fish to be, and making sure that thing is contacting all that rocks from about the two foot to the eight or ten foot range. And uh, and I'd wind it with with a pretty good clip too. Uh, this is not a four speed situation. The water's still warm enough. The fish be able to, to get after it. This is the time of year where I'm not using a winch. I'm using a faster reel because I want that crankbait to keep moving and hit as many rocks and things as possible and then when it comes to the jig i'm going to the snap jig and i'm going to snap that thing really hard it's going to be on like a quarter ounce jig head and i'm going to snap it really hard and aggressive and really just try to trigger fish that are up and thinking about food in the first place and uh just getting the snap on it that way but regardless my baits are typically going to be larger than average this time of year fish want a bunch of calories I'm not trying to catch little fish. As you already pointed out, it's the time of year to catch big ones, and they want calories, so I'm going to throw them a steak. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we're not far. As the water cools, we're going to see this turn into uh, like a, 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 a jigging spoon bite or a, a, a glide bait type bite like the Johnny Darter. We'll see that coming pretty soon. We'll probably talk about that in a couple of weeks because that bite's going to take off pretty soon. And yep. with the water we just need a lot harder more- cold snap for that. Yeah, well, it's coming soon. Chad, if people want more information, or how do they find you? 
Uh, fistfulthinker.com uh, is our best you know, information to get stuff on our guide trips and stuff. I will say we've only got one or two dates left. We had a couple of cancellations. Uh, so Dan Swanson does have a couple of dates. I am personally booked out for the year. And, and if they want our social media, that's at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, our YouTube channel. I heard you talking about your YouTube channel, ours as well. Uh, in fact, I think we're both on each other's YouTube channel at some point. So uh, but if you guys yep. check that out, it's at Fishful yep. Thinker as well. Yep, you can find us. We're all over the place. We're huge. But <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Nationwide. <laughs> thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Chad Lachance, great information. Uh, this is the time of the year, you know, transitions in this weather Animals respond to these weather transitions in different ways, different times of year, whether they're fish or game. We're going to keep you on top of that, so you need to follow the show. We're going to, we're going to keep you on top of that. But speaking of keeping on top of things, is Dan Jacobs in the studio this morning? Yes, I'm on top of things as usual, Terry. How are you, sir? Well, I was, um, I'm doing well. I had a couple things. First of all, i got to ask you, did I drink too much wine last night? Because I thought I saw that the Rockies and the Nuggets both came back and won. They did a rare, I think maybe only the second time in franchise history, a uh, walk-off grand slam. Charlie Blackman to win. Yeah, it's just... uh... It was it was great to see them winning. I you know, the Rockies have started out well and they've disappointed me. The Nuggets, I thought they'd probably lose this series in six. Uh, could be right. Maybe they'll go on. They've pulled some rabbits out of a hat. But what well, I by really the way, want to by, talk. By the way, Terry, real quick, those things weren't mutually exclusive. Yes, you drank too much wine last night, and yes, both those teams came back and won. Oh, Let's okay. be clear here. All right, so it was real. That's yes. what I wanted to verify. Yes. Yes, sir. I, I do have a question for you. I, I want to first. I'll make a statement, then I have a question. When I saw Vaughn go down, at first I was I was a little demoralized because I was hoping he was going to have this comeback year. He was going to spring back and show us the old Vaughn, and we were going to um, it was going to help key this team into a much better year than they had last year. Although I after I thought about it for a while, you know Vaughn. Didn't have the best year last year. He's worked out. He may be more focused, but he's getting older. So I don't know. Maybe it's time we look at some other guys and do some other things. We're a little, we're a little light there. We need some depth, but we'll see how that goes. But the Sutton thing didn't bother me as much because the one thing I don't hear, I mean, he's a great player. We want him out on the field. But I think we're going to, with a, with a tight end room we've got, we can go – two tight ends and two wides or even two tight ends and one wide and a a back. And we've got, we've got some speed in that tight end room and some people that can body up and make plays. So I'm not sure that we can't fill that gap for a week or two like that. Yeah. And Tim Patrick's severely underrated. He's a big bodied receiver that can catch. So you can get, you can get by for a week or two, although Cortland Sutton may even play, you know, they're saying it's not as serious you know, as you know, the initially feared there was there was some some uh, you know probably be limited, but I wouldn't be surprised if he played. But even if he doesn't play, it's not the end of the world. He'll be back. Uh, well, I, nobody, I think we're going to agree, no, Terry. We're agreeing, and I think that nobody has film on this offense right now. So you can come out with a lot of formations. Two tight ends allows you to run the ball more effectively, and you can still get guys out with with font and and that oh you can get guys downfield too so we've got some pretty good options but um i do want to i have to run and close out the show so you can start yours but i do want to tell you trivia is back next week on my show i look forward to dominating it what am i going to win next week 
You win nothing because oh, you're not on. eligible. You you just get bragging rights. Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to getting uh, those. All right. Well, I'll, I'll get. Let me close out, and you can get started. All right. Let's Thanks close out with some Beatles. No, we're not closing out with the Beatles. Here, let's see. All right. Follow us every week from nine to eleven. And if you want to listen to Dan afterwards, go ahead and stay on, unless you have something important to do. But um, now he always brings great sports perspective. But every every week from nine, every Saturday from nine to eleven, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll let the Eagles take us to the. Well, it's past the top of the hour. We'll let them take us to the Dan Jacobs Show on Sports on one hundred four three The Fan. So